in the middle of this series, Identity. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks is looking through the lens of the life of Moses as, as a template, as a pattern for us to kind of lay over our own lives in order to discern who it is that God had in mind when he created us. That, that is to specifically get at a very real God-centered self-awareness. Now, if you're new, let me be very clear. We're not talking about positive self-esteem because that only will take you so far. What we're talking about is accurate self-awareness to understand just exactly what it was, who it was that God the God of this universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords had in mind when he made us, that who it was that he imagined you to be, who he imagined me to be before he knit us together in our mother's womb. Just that, that concept alone ought to knock you out of your seat, whether you're here in the room or online this morning, to think that, that God imagined you before you ever started coming together as a human being, that at, at the moment of conception, there was a soul, there was a life that God had dreamed up. I mean, what a, what a powerful, powerful concept. And so that is really kind of what is driving this whole series and what we're, what we're trying to understand and what we're trying to get at through this series called Identity. Now, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the life of Moses is we've looked over the last few weeks at how God used circumstances to shape Moses, to, to guide and direct Moses into the calling that he had for his life. And what we've really looked at so far mostly have been the externals of Moses' life. Today, though, we're going to pivot and go to the internals. What are the the gifts and the talents that Moses had, the passions and perspectives that, that God wired into him, that they were just a part of his makeup that God wanted to use, God wanted to call out of him after he had put them into him. Does that make sense? And, and one of the things that is fascinating as you look at the life of Moses is that so many times his greatest strengths also pointed out his greatest weaknesses. And I got to tell you, that's something that I can relate to. I understand that. I think most of us, if we took the time, if we would make the time for some genuine God-driven reflection, we would be able to say the same is true in our lives. The strengths, the talents that we have also point out the, the shortcomings and the weaknesses that we have. And I think one of the things that I didn't really understand until recently is that not only has God hardwired into you and me certain gifts and talents and abilities and capacities, no question. But that also means by definition, he's given us some weaknesses. He's, he's, if he's given us some of these things, that means that he didn't give us some of these other things. And I think that we have the opportunity through the life of Moses to be able to pull back and go, okay, what are the things that I'm not great at? What are my weaknesses that I need to celebrate and surrender to God? I, I think... I could point this out maybe by, by way of illustration. Over the last few weeks here on this platform, I have kind of been handed a reputation 
for, for being a fan of fire. I, I've contributed to this. I told a story about, you know, when I almost burned the house down at Christmas and blah, 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 blah. We even had one guest speaker on Mother's Day, my wife, who said pyromaniac in reference to your pastor. And it is true. I, I love me a good fireworks show. I love time around a bonfire with friends and family. Have I investigated how to buy one of Elon Musk's flamethrowers? Yes, I have. But that's not the point. <laughs> Amidst all of the slander and slurring of my good name over the last few weeks, what has been lost in the telling of the story is that what's also true is I'm actually pretty handy to have around a barbecue grill. Now, I'm not saying that Aaron Franklin needs to worry about his job or his reputation, but I, I, can, I can get around a grill or a smoker. I can, whether it's, you know, smoked brisket, steaks, uh, smoked beef tenderloin. <laughs> I mean, your pastor, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you I'm good at it, and I've practiced a lot. I, I've put in the time. I, one of the things that we learned how to do over, over quarantine and covid was this thing called spatchcock chicken. A spatchcock chicken just means you, you butterfly a chicken. And, and I go through this elaborate cooking process. My family loves this so much, it never even makes it off of the kitchen island. They eat it off of the bone like animals. Does anybody tell you that story? No, they don't. So what can be a weakness can also be a strength. And I think... Every single one of us can identify with that. What, what our strengths are, what our, our talents are, can, can also be our weaknesses, our, our shortcomings that we have to manage, we have to steward if we're going to live in and live out this identity that God has given us. Do you understand that the identity you have, your soul, is a gift from God? And this idea of our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness it is something that we have to not only get our minds around, but I think it's more important that we get our hearts around it, that, that we can honestly and spiritually and emotionally, psychologically admit and acknowledge, hey, I've got some weaknesses. Now, it's easy to do in our minds. It's easy to do in general to say, you know, I, I've got plenty of weaknesses. I would love to, I mean, I admit that freely. Now, that, that's easy because you're not naming any of them. What's a little tougher is to say, hey, I've, I've got this particular weakness. And if you're thinking about your weaknesses, again, look to your strengths. Your strengths, my strengths, will often show us where we're most vulnerable to sin. Our talents will tell us where we're going to be tempted. Think about this. If you are, let's say that you are driven, you're really goal-oriented. Well, that's great. That's a talent. That's, that's a gift. You could also maybe be overbearing or even abusive in extreme cases. If you are, on the other hand, just kind of laid back and chill and not easily flustered, maybe you're indecisive and you don't like to make a decision and not ruffle any feathers. If you're super punctual, how many people are really punctual in the house? You'd like, man, I'm going to be on time and anybody who knows me or say they know me. That's great. If you're punctual, that's super. That also means that you could be kind of pushy when it comes time for departure. <laughs> our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness. Our strengths will show us our sin. Our talent 
will tell us where we'll be tempted. And the very thing that God wants to call out of us will probably be the very thing that he has to call us out on. And that's just, that's just a part of the human condition. We see this in the life of Moses. And as a matter of fact, in the narrative that we're going to examine today, we have the opportunity to see Moses in two almost identical situations respond very, very differently. In one, he responds in strength. In another one, he responds in sin. And the consequences are massive. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 17. If you've got your Bible, look in Exodus 17. In this part of the narrative, Israel has escaped Egyptian slavery. They have, they have left 430 years of bondage, the mindset of slavery, and they are on their way to the promised land. Now, on their way is very important. They're not yet there. But it's in this in-between time. It's that, it's that unknown, that uncertainty between bondage and blessing where Israel is discovering their identity as the people of God. What, what had begun as a holy family is on their way to becoming a holy nation, but they're not there yet. And it happens in fits and starts. It, it, it's not a straight line up and to the right. And, and this is one of those moments where Moses is tested, Israel is tested. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness, the Sinai wilderness, ultimately where God would give Moses the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses would be given in the same place. But before they get to the Ten Commandments, they enter this, this time of testing. And it's not only a time of testing, it's also, they also get a little testy. You ever get testy in a time of testing? Well, Israel is there. And they're, they're not sure the path to the promised land. They, they know they've left Egyptian slavery, but in the middle of this unknown, they're also very thirsty. They're searching for water, and, and they're, they're fighting for survival. And look at how the Bible records this moment. It says in verses 3 and 4, Tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Whoa. Well, what happened to the, the parade out of Egypt? What happened, what happened to all of God's goodness, all of his provisions? Now all of a sudden we're at each other's throats. We're, we're, we're fighting for survival. We're, we're accusing our leadership of, of wanting us to die. And it's an amazing, amazing scene here. But it's an amazing opportunity. I got to tell you, unfortunately, I get it. I, I've, I have been exactly, not in the Sinai Peninsula necessarily, but I've been in wilderness seasons before where I've wondered if God was still paying attention, where I've accused other people of trying to contribute to my demise or not trying to help. And, and, I, and I get self-conscious. I get critical. I, I've been there. I've done that. I understand the mentality. But here's what's fascinating. This is in Exodus chapter 17. 
Israel has already forgotten everything that they've seen God do just in a matter of weeks. I mean, just, just for openers. Let's, let's start with the fact that they witnessed God 10 different times suspend the laws of nature in the universe and intervene supernaturally to convince Pharaoh not only to let them leave Egypt, but to command them to leave Egypt. They, they saw that happen. And not only did they see that happen, not only did they leave Egypt, on their way out of Egypt, the Egyptian people, the Bible says, were giving them their gold and their silver, saying, please, go, just go. Take the plagues with you. Leave, go. They were giving them traveling money. People who had been enslaved for 430 years left the place of bondage with wealth. They had just seen this happen. Not only that, but when they got to the, when they got to the Red Sea, they saw God supernaturally part the Red Sea and they walked across it on dry ground, over a million people. They watched this happen. Not only did they walk across on dry land and get to the other side, but then when Pharaoh and his army were pursuing them because Pharaoh kind of stepped back and went, wait a minute, should we have let all the slaves go? Bad idea, let's go get them. And Pharaoh, when they got into the middle of the Red Sea, God supernaturally brought the Red Sea back together and consumed Pharaoh and his army. Not only that, when they got into the middle of the Sinai wilderness, God provided manna every single morning for them to eat. He provided sustenance for them. And then when they complained about the manna being dull, how many of you ever had your kids complain about a meal? Do I have to eat this? You can go buy your own food, kid. God didn't do that. He goes, no, here's manna. And because it's not tasty enough, I'll send quail. Quail. A South Texas delicacy in the Sinai Peninsula. Now, the dietary restrictions of the law of Moses had not been uttered yet, but scholars are divided on whether or not it was bacon-wrapped quail that flew into the camp. <laughs> but they had seen all of these things happen. And at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of opposition, and yet God had told them, Already in Exodus 13, God said, I'm not taking you straight from Egypt to the promised land. Because if I take you straight from there, A to B, then you might want to go back to Egypt when you face opposition. The first time you face a battle, you may give up. So I'm going to take you on a more circuitous route than you would have chosen, but I'm doing that for a purpose because I'm preparing you for what I've already prepared for you. Listen, don't sleep on the wilderness. The people of Israel were in the middle of the wilderness and, this is so important, they were in the middle of the will of God. So many times when I get to a wilderness, I'm like, God, where are you? Why am I here? I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe I've been betrayed like this. I can't believe. God. God's like, no, no, no. I'm just preparing you for what I've already prepared for you. If you want to increase your VO2 max, you got to run. You have to push the edge of the oxygen envelope to increase your capacity for oxygen. When you're in the wilderness, God is increasing your capacity. And that's what he's doing with Israel here. Man, but, but what did they say? They're like, we should be back in Egypt. Isn't that crazy? 
I mean, we look at that like, Egypt? They're like, we had food every day. We had a roof over our heads. And you just want to go, okay, great. You were slaves. You were in bondage. But they forgot. You ever forget? I've forgotten. They forgot. Now, I, I love God's response to this. It's, it is classic God. Look at what he says to Moses. Verse 5 and following. Walk out in front of the people. Take your stuff. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. Everybody say, strike the rock. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? God says, Moses, strike the rock, and, and everybody will drink. You get water, you get water, you get water, you, everybody gets water. And that's exactly what happened. And so we see here Moses responding faithfully. We see here Moses taking the staff that he had used in 10 different plagues in Egypt, the staff that he had used when God said, raise it up and I will part the Red Sea, that same staff. God said, strike the rock. And Moses did what he was told to do. He was operating in his strength. But the second snapshot, the second snapshot, which is almost identical to the first, but varies in a couple of important details. The second snapshot happens at essentially the same place, but this is now years later. If you have your Bibles, look in Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses is now a much more seasoned leader. God has extended the amount of time that Israel will be in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness, because he saw that they were not yet ready to claim the promise of the promised land. They were not ready to live in the blessing and the freedom that he had for them there. They were not ready yet to take it over. They weren't ready for the battles that would come with the blessings. He and Aaron have just lost his, their sister Miriam and it's in this state of stress, not strength, that Moses encounters a very, very similar situation. Numbers chapter 20. The people are again grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The people are again complaining, why don't we go back to Egypt? Can we please go back to where they had food for us? And Moses now and Aaron go to God, and the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock. Say, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So, again, exact same situation. Now they've just got a longer track record of God's faithfulness to look back on, 
and they forgot again. They forgot again. Moses forgot again. We know that Moses forgot because of what we're about to read. But you see this pattern over and over and over and over again in the nation of Israel, but, but really it's just the story of humanity. I, I love the way Jordan put it last week when he talked about the story of God confronting the story of Pharaoh. What an incredible, incredible word picture. Here again, the nation of Israel is forgetting the story of God. They're, they're forgetting his faithfulness. They're forgetting that he has been with them through the entire thing. When they didn't know where to go, he gave them a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day to guide their every step. When they stopped, Israel stopped. When they moved, Israel moved. Over and over again. Again, in the middle of the wilderness, they were in the middle of the will of God. Now, look how Moses responds this time. Not in strength, but in stress. Verse 9. So Moses did as he was told. Okay, good. First step. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Okay, so far, so good. We're tracking. Then he said this. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Every parent in the world can identify with this moment in Moses' life. Where as a parent, you, you just kind of like lose it. You're like, if you people don't leave and go to your rooms, right? That's kind of how Moses, that means at the end of his rope. Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. Remember, God said, speak to the rock. But here Moses strikes the rock. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. We already knew that because we read Exodus 17. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. When I read this passage, I got to tell you, my heart breaks for Moses. He, he messed up. Moses messed up. He struck the rock when God said, speak to the rock. But God says, because you disobeyed here, I won't let you take them there. Now, the Bible says that God in his grace allowed Moses to see the promised land. He stood on Mount Pisgah and looked out over the promised land, but he was not allowed to enter it. He died before Israel entered the promised land. But understand the gravity of Moses' sin. His greatest strength was his passion. But we've seen throughout his life, and Mo had a temper. Remember back in Israel when he, when he had to flee the country because he had killed a man in anger? 
We, we've seen this over and over again. Moses, he, he's a strong leader. I mean, you don't lead a million people out of slavery after 430 years by being sweet all the time. I mean, he's, he's Nick Saban on steroids, okay? And, and just trust me when I tell you that means he was a good leader. Some of you may be thinking, oh, so he was Satan personified. That's not what I'm saying. But that strength, that passion, when he was operating in his strength, man, God used that in a powerful way. But that same passion when he operated in stress and under duress and he made it about himself rather than about God, cost him. There are consequences to not managing our weaknesses that are the dark side of our strengths. And I think this is where we get to really look at the goodness of God again. Because God in his goodness allows us this, this hopefully spirit-led, God-driven self-awareness to go, okay, what are my weaknesses? What, what are the things that, that the people around me would say, hey, you could do better at this, or this is not something you do well at? One of our family values in, in our homestead is, is laughter. We, we laugh a lot. And a lot of times, we laugh at each other. We, I, I believe that mockery is one of the most underutilized parenting tools in the entire world. Now, I'm not talking about belittling. I'm not talking about demeaning. There has to be a basis of, of trust, of love. As I've said before, I don't necessarily care if my kids liked me when they were growing up, but they have to know that we like them. So once that's established, then you can help everybody in the family not take themselves too seriously and kind of go, hey, you're nuts in this arena or these arenas. That's, that's, that's part of the, the benefit. We all need community. We need family. Nobody will keep you more in line than your spouse. The people closest to you, they're, they're the ones who tell you, hey, yeah, you're not good at that. We all need that. Moses is here operating in his stress and not in his strength. Two things, I think, are the takeaway from this. Number one, celebrate the weaknesses of your strengths. Celebrate the weaknesses of your strengths. I, I think one of the steps towards mental health is accepting reality. Can we all agree on that? So part of accepting reality is accepting what I don't do well. Celebrate it. Listen, I'm, I'm a big picture person. Bill Jones, one of the members of our board of directors, will tell you, Mac has to really, 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 really work when we talk about money and finances and details because his eyes will glaze over in a heartbeat if we let him. Now, I can do this, and I do do this because it's part of my responsibility as the pastor, but afterwards, I'm exhausted. I mean, I need a nap after a budget meeting. But you want to talk about vision? You want to talk about big picture? You want to talk about where God has taken us? And that fires me up. I'll go home and it's like I've just had four shots of espresso. 
That's okay. I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses. I am terrible with details. Now, I'm responsible for details, so that means that we have hired an incredibly effective, gifted staff. We have one of the most gifted, talented, heartful, strong, smart staffs you've ever heard of a church having. And they compliment my weaknesses. Thank God. Thank God. I love that. So, man, I'm going to celebrate my weakness. I'm terrible at money. You clap that. Now, God, in his wisdom and grace, has given us Mike Ward, Jamie Keller, and others who are great at managing the big picture and the decimal points and columns. Are those terms? Those are financial terms, right? Okay. They're great at those things. So I celebrate the weaknesses. But it's not enough to just celebrate them. I think we also have to surrender our weaknesses. We, we, we've got to surrender them. I, I, I have to be able to say, I'm bad at this, and God, I need your anointing to put those people around me, not only for the church, but at home. Not only financially, but in other areas of weakness. And so I will surrender my weakness to you. Not only will I celebrate, but I'm going to surrender them. And it's, it's in that surrender of the weaknesses of our strengths that God is glorified. What did he say to Moses? You and Aaron didn't trust me enough to display my holiness to Israel. You didn't trust me. And so you, you acted out of anger. You struck the rock when I said, just talk to the rock. It's in that surrender that God is glorified. And when God is glorified, everything works better. What is the chief end of man? Westminster Shorter Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The very thing that God wants to call out of you likely often will be the thing he has to call you out on. The Apostle Paul, again, we, we come back to this, but it, it's, it's too head-on to not reference this again. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. But we do know that Paul prayed three different times. God, remove this. Take it away. God, take this weakness away. And this was Christ's answer. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to celebrate them because I've surrendered them so that the power of Christ can work through me. Everything that gets surrendered gets celebrated. Everything you surrender to the authority, to the sovereignty of God, he will celebrate as he is elevated 
as we lift him up, as we glorify him. Jesus' grace is sufficient. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that God's grace leverages our weaknesses for His glory and our good? If you've never stepped into that grace, if you've never made that a priority in your life, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To step into a relationship with God. A relationship that is established on and driven by grace and truth. If you want to step into that, then we invite you just to pray silently, just right where you're sitting. Just pray and talk to God from your heart to his and say silently, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I want your amazing grace. So I confess my sin to you, holding none of it back in order to claim, in order to receive your forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I will give you my life. I will follow you as my Lord as well as my Savior. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. If that was your prayer, as, we, as we've said before, th- this is the biggest moment of your life. And so as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow. A couple of ways that we would love to participate in that with you. First of all, if you would just use that QR card that's in the seat back in front of you. If you're on the front row of a section, it's underneath your seat, but you can use that card just to let us know that you made that decision today. Either online with your phone or you can actually fill out the card if you want to and give it to someone on your way out today. One of our ushers or someone at the hub. If you're online, there's a place for you to say, I raised my hand today. But that just begins a conversation. And then the second thing is, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And our family tradition around here is you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.